What's shaking, cats and kittens? I'm Rob Lee from Getting to the Truth in This Art. And this podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Bazaar. Bazaar is a gift shop for those seeking the strange and unusual. Got morbid curiosity? Got an interest in natural history? Bazaar's got you covered. Bazaar specializes in antique medical equipment, jewelry, prints, funerary antiques, and many other morbid gifts. The inventory is ever-changing. I'm wearing a great death's head moth pin, and I'm enjoying this hand-poured candle called Overgrown Cemetery. It's great. It has the studio smelling awesome. Head on over to 3534 Chestnut Avenue in Baltimore, Sinan Hamden neighborhood, and see what they got to offer at Bazaar. Tell them Rob Lee sent you. Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. Uh, and today's guest is a local and regional brewing quality assurance expert, Michelle McHugh. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So, yes, I'm going to get right down to it because uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand and we have some commonalities. Hang, you have a really good sense of humor. You're an audio person. Oh, well, thank um, you. <laughs> And you're into wrestling. I'll take so, it. I'll take yes. it. Um, but real quick, one of the things I like to do is um, early on, just get like, I, I can say something in a very 3000 foot kind of view of this is what you do. But I'd rather let you kind of break down what you do, whether it be because you have a creative thing, too. And I didn't really touch on that, but you have the day job you have what you're pursuing uh, creatively, too. So speak on that, please. Okay. Well, to start, um, the, the role of kind of quality assurance, uh, management and, um, quality control in brewing is something I've been doing for almost seven years now. Mm -hmm. Um, I've worked at a couple breweries regionally, obviously, as we said, (laughs) um, and the biggest part of it is ensuring the exact thing that you brewed because you love it and you brewed it again Mm -hmm. because you love it. And then that third time you brew it is to make sure the client or the consumer gets exactly what it is you're appreciating. Um, and that's why quality assurance and quality control exists, honestly. And, um, it's, it's everything from the raw ingredients management and, and testing to your fermentation and making sure even though you've brewed the beer a thousand times, maybe that less than that. Let's, let's see, everyone's young around here (laughs) brewery wise, but, um, you've brewed the beer this many times, but you still have to track those same yeast cells that you've used time and time again, the same generation of yeast cells time and time again. And, and how it's fermenting properly, even at the same temperature you always ferment it at. Um, it's, it's the little things like that at each step of the process that you, you have to watch even as much as you know about it, you have to watch and guarantee that everything meets your standards and, and those specs and parameters that you have for consistency. Um, and a lot of it also, deals with, I, I, I'm not going to say safety exactly, but, um, quality managers tend to somehow fall into a role of safety guide, safety management, but it is all related. Honestly. Um, if you go to any food plan, anything like that, uh, 
a huge portion of your quality or even the FDA, if you're trying to approve something, if you look at what has to happen to have a certain approval level, it comes down to quality. Mm -hmm. And all of that is inclusive of your food safety, the, the manufacturing safety, um, and consistency and repeatability and proof of all of those parameters actually being checked. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's a larger scale, but to tone it back a bit for what I do on a daily basis, um, the stuff I said before, but also just monitoring a fermentation, cellaring our barrel aging program, um, kind of special project oversight, uh, and process design process innovation and looking at chemical utilization, um, and a lot of data analysis, data input, and <laughs> and making sure, kind of figuring out, it's always moving. The technology for any industry, but definitely brewing, it's generally kind of a same, same even keel thing, depending on the equipment you have, mm-hmm. um, as long as you can master that equipment. But just like anything, the technology and the ways to innovate and, and do recipes differently. You have your West Coast IPA, however many... God, almost a decade ago to the New England IPA coming in around five years ago and totally changing the way people look at consumers mostly. Um, and then back to brewers. Cause they're like, Oh, well crap, we have to make that now <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or we have to learn how to master that and be better than the next brewery. Um, those styles are changing. It's all the same premise and principle to begin with. Yeah but it's, it's learning how to utilize the same four or five ingredients and make them do all those crazy things for each different possible end result. Um, and quality control oversees that and, um, make sure every kind of testing we need is in line Mm -hmm. to, to do the research on it and the trials for these new things, or just your regular consistent brands, and then being able to look at it and say, okay, let's make this tweak next time mm-hmm. or let's, let's try this or yeah, we met our marks and then let's go on to the next phase of tracking the product, you know, whether that's a shelf life testing um, and obviously sensory is a huge part of all of this um, sensory analytics. And the biggest question I get when I tell people what I do is Oh, so you get to drink beer all day. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, that is definitely an important part of it. But let me say it is very structured, Mm -hmm. um, very regulated under my Mm -hmm. own control personally. Um, because no, we do not at all. I have never encouraged overindulging at work. There's some days where it's like, all right, we have everything done. You know what? Let's, let's pop a beer an hour earlier than we normally would. But, um, as far as the sensory, that is, that's the biggest tool and, um, the, it's the end all be all and the easiest thing you can do, I guess, um, is, is tasting your beer and figuring out where you need to taste it Mm -hmm. and for what reasons to make sure you have the best outcoming products, um, the most consistent products of what you already have. Mm-hmm. And, and just to make sure it's good. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to taste it new product or not. You have to taste it and make sure it's true to brand 
And it's something you feel comfortable handing to a buddy or handing to a stranger and saying, this is my product. Like my heart and soul are on the line for this thing I'm about to hand you. And it damn well better be the best version of what I can offer you. That's, that's important. Like long story short, (laughs) that's a very, I guess that was a very broad summarization of what I do. (laughs) No, no, that's that's great. It's, I think that's important. Like when I, I I enjoy beer. Uh, and I think when you get something, you get a product and even like when you're consuming something like, cause I don't want to make it Mm -hmm. specific to beer, but there is a restaurant that I will not name. Uh, because mm-hmm. sponsors, no, uh, there's a restaurant <laughs> I will not name, but, uh, they have, um, uh, they have, they, they do chicken or what have you. And it's a couple that are, that are local. They have maybe three locations and that mm-hmm. initial location, that flagship, you can see something has changed in the recipe. And uh-huh. I'm very, I'm very taste oriented. I know what's going on. I was like, Nope. And this is exactly where you screwed up at. Then when I try the other location, I see that under, both under the same name, both representing mm-hmm. the same place, both having the same um, goodwill or baggage. And then the other place is doing so much better. And it's like, oh, yeah, they didn't change something. You guys screwed up. And mm-hmm. even the quality of the the batter on the, the chicken is it's not it's not consistent. It's just like a shell of batter now. And it's like. Mm-hmm in a place of parody because we're, you know, in the, 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 the chicken sandwich wars of the late 2020s or the early 2020s <laughs> and we're going into the fish wars. One now. more than meant for the history books of yeah. 2020. So, so with all of that, that stuff, when we have like parody and everyone can come out with fair version. And that's what I was, was thinking about when you were describing, mm-hmm. like, like if you're, if this is become the new, hotness in the brewing scene then well this brewery has to have their version of it in this place it needs to have theirs i just noticed that everyone has like a seltzer now and i I don't know i've noticed that nonsense (laughs) so like for the from the standpoint or i guess the the object of the chicken place you're talking about that whether or not it's it sounds like the the breading or the sauce was the direct thing that made you question like, Oh, something's not right. So that's the, the forefront of the, there's a quality issue here, but quality management is sitting back and knowing you have multiple locations trying to push out the exact same product, Mm -hmm. the same brand. They have to take every single measure possible. Of course, I don't know what that means for fried chicken or chicken. I wish I did. I mean, Hey, I'd make it way too much. And I'd weigh a hell of a lot more than I do now, but, um, proudly, um, that, that has to come from the whole concept of quality management from above of, okay. We may have slightly different equipment at these places, Mm -hmm. but we know this is the recipe and we're going to have to try this and that this many times. If say we get a new fryer or we get a new even brand of whatever little ingredient that goes into the breading. Um, that's, that's the idea of, of quality assurance and quality control, the control being all of those various little checkpoints. Um, and the assurance being the management of those checkpoints. Um, but as far as like doing something that's, that's hype, I guess, Mm -hmm. or, do it because it's what's selling more than the other thing. 
Um, it is really common, obviously, that and in breweries as well, especially with the coronavirus, people are just trying to make whatever money they can. Um, and there are places where maybe they didn't want to go down the seltzer route uh, ahead of time before all of this or restaurants. I'm sure they didn't want to go down a certain whatever the equivalent is of, well, we don't like hazy IPAs as a brewery. We want to make traditional German styles or whatever, whatever equivalent that is for certain restaurants or um, uh, different different types of food. Um, you get to the point of, well, let's try it. Obviously it's selling and, and those differences of the good product lies within how much research you're doing, who you have on your team to be able to do proper research and, and really the ability to, to spend, to trial a product, every aspect of it and, and control, develop the controls, um, for each part of that new project to, and, and meet them more than once the repeatability, um, to be able to make it something you can offer to consumers. And it's really, it's not common, um, for a lot of places, a lot of the, the places around here in Maryland and Baltimore, a lot of stuff is very small scale. And that's how it is for a ton of, um, microbreweries, the, however many thousand, probably close to 10,000 there are in the country. Um, so many of them it's, if you can make beer that isn't directly spoiling when you're serving it to customers. And I don't mean this as an insult at all. It's, it's a very practical thing because beer is a pretty stable product, um, as far as contaminants, microbiological, like microbiological contaminants. Um, but people are going to go for it uh, based on what they have at their hands mm -hmm. to try to establish these quality measures or not. Um, and not everyone has the kind of staffing, um, dedicated to making sure that quality is in line, but you do what you have to do. I mean, and, and if you have a good client base, which a lot of places do, um, and you prove that you can make good stuff, go for it. Try it. If you don't have the money to dump a batch because you're experimenting, go for it, advertise it as such, or however you need yeah. to, and, and see the reaction and then go from there. That's, that's some of what people have to work with. Um, and that comes back to the sensory, like yeah. it, it really is your, your best, the first and foremost way to determine something's gone right or gone really wrong or poorly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's stressful <laughs> personally as someone who's been in the industry as long as I have, and I'm very in the like academia world of it, not mm -hmm. my own background, but with all that I've researched and learned and stuff I work with and a lot that I contribute to, as far as all of these new technologies, I'm like, Oh, I wish all of these places. Cause I know, I know they have great product and they have great people running their staff yeah. and all of that had, had the, the ability at their disposal to, to run just even a few trial runs, mm -hmm. even if the product comes out great the first time, it's just, um, something I, I wish for everyone and 
a lot of those folks still do a great job yeah. without it, without someone like me, uh, have in a position there, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So let's, let's switch gears and we're going to get back to the creative things. I got a creative sure question thing. in there. We can get back into your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Take a swig. Uh, <laughs> I was trying uh, to keep it out of the sound waves. No, 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 no. It's gotta be in the sound waves. Um, so, see, there you go. uh, so let's see. Um, well, actually we, we're, we're going to talk about beer, but in a different way. Uh, cause okay. like my first three questions you already kind of covered. So that's great. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to modify this one a little bit. Um, and this might be hard Go for it. What are your favorite styles of beer? Maybe your top three favorite styles of beer. Cause I'm going to steal this, this steal this from me. Once you say it, that that's totally fine. Um, the first thing I'll say is they waver. Okay. Uh, they go through cycles. <laughs> um, right now, I would probably say. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's a, um, uh, an IPA, maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> Saying, oh, shit. <laughs> no, uh, I love traditional Belgian whites. Okay. Um, on the same page and, and triples. Uh, I love Belgian beer. Um, second to that, I would say probably Mexican lagers, Hmm. uh, traditional, like Vienna, basically Vienna lagers, but are in the Mexican tradition. So they're a little bit darker, but also light. I, my guilty pleasure is like macro produced, Mexican lagers, okay. <laughs> um, not like Corona, not in a bottle, um, no. because it has that whole, uh, skunking situation, um, which is science, which I would love to explain. It's not every off flavor is a beer being skunked, uh-huh. but I appreciate people using that term as saying something doesn't seem right. <laughs> so I'll take here. it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I love Mexican lagers. Uh, I guess as a, just as a quick third, um, I love Pilsners. Something that I haven't had in a while, but I really enjoy when I have it. Ooh. Um, probably, probably, uh, black lagers. Okay. Like Schwartz beers. I've, I've never partaken. Uh, an example of one is black wing okay. by union. Okay. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, it's just a multi, I also love ESBs. Um, but there aren't any, there aren't too many local or really craft options of that. Mm-hmm. Um, or they haven't, there hasn't been in a long time, but, um, yeah, black loggers are just like a, a very multi, um, light bodied, mm-hmm. but if you almost think of a Guinness, yeah. um, but there's to a black lager, I would say, especially a craft made one, there is more to it. Um, there's more body. It's very chocolatey, mm. um, very smooth. If you can almost think of something like a nitro beer, but not, yeah. um, which that beer is like that style of beer is great. Nitrogenized yeah. or slow pour, but, um, yeah, it's it's like a lighter bodied beer, but a lot going on to it. 
and that like dark chocolatey, dark malt, um, like toasted bread, biscuity yeah. type thing. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to feel too badly about it because it's light, it's low ABV. The calories are lower, you're, but you're, you're giving yourself another job now. I'm just like, Hey, so I'm going to need like Michelle to provide me like beer suggestions for what I'm going to eat. Oh, biscuits. I can solve. Also when you, when you said, <laughs> um, chocolate and multi, I was like, that's my autobiography title. How did you find that out? I'm working on it currently. I'm, hey, I'm, I'm making it now. It's just like, it's not going to work for me to take that from you, but like I, I would, <laughs> I would find a way to get something similar because that is pretty damn good. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll cheers myself on that. I'll, 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 I'll tell you this one that and it happened at a, one of the other shows as we were talking about it earlier. I um, I was just like, I just feel like vegans are looking down on me from that, that cauliflower tower. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was great. It was great. Uh, Next trending hashtag. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to make it a thing. Um, I'm going to be famous. I hope so. Uh, so let's 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 talk about the creativity a little bit i got some wrestling questions too okay uh so creatively what are your passions and when did like um when did you realize you had talent in those areas like i'm passionate mm -hmm. about certain things but i suck at those things i'm passionate about so <laughs> i might not do them but you you have some talent out there that i've seen and you're, you're good but i'll let you speak on it please thank you um and i totally get the there's so many things I want to learn to do. I feel like I could be really good at, but everyone is where they are and that's okay. Deal <laughs> work with what you have already and then totally. see what you can add on. But, um, yeah, I've, I've been a musician of sorts. I'll say that, uh, since I can remember, mm -hmm. um, I've played piano and guitar since I was about eight years old. So basically my whole life. Yeah. Um, and then singing is my, uh, my forte, I guess, pun intended dumb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm technically, I'm a classically trained singer, a coloratura soprano. My voice never really, adds, my speaking voice never adds up to that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, even people have asked me this before and my parents have one answer okay. of when there was kind of a click of when I knew or when they could tell I knew uh, that I had talent singing. Um, my first memory of like, of feeling, Oh, like this sounds so terrible, <laughs> but Oh, I'm like superior to these people. And singing, I know. <laughs> no, that sounds so bad. <laughs> I mean, I think it all the time, you know, just My about first, general things. The first moment or recollection I have of that was in preschool. We were, we had this like preschool graduation little ceremony where we sang um, What a Wonderful World. Mm -hmm. And I remember doing like maybe one day or one hour, however long you're in preschool for of rehearsal for this and just like singing out and, and realizing I was following the tune mm -hmm. really well. I don't, I'd remember that to this day. I'm also like creepily good with memory, but <laughs> I very strongly remember even that like rehearsal day before the actual thing thinking like, I'm going to sing out and sing proud, sing proudly because i I get it. I'm doing this. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes any sense. And then my, uh, 
my mom and my dad have kind of always attributed that moment of realization to uh, a sixth grade talent show when I, I was in like three different things. You were only supposed to be in one. Yeah. And I like accompanied uh, people on piano. I did this tiny little bit in another skit, like an American Idol skit. And then I did my own yeah. song. And that was when my parents kind of felt they're like, oh yeah, she's meant to be on stage. Um, but it still was way before that, that mm -hmm. I, I had the urge from a very young age being, I think five yeah. to play guitar, to want to play guitar. Um, and I remember my little brother God, I was probably around six at this time. My little brother got this dinky, like fake guitar type toy that you can't actually tune or anything. Yeah. But I remember being genuinely upset <laughs> because I was like, I want to play guitar. <laughs> like I want to learn how to do this. And I even took that little dinky thing and tried to do something with it. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's, it has been a lifelong kind of just known thing yeah. for me. Um, and I'm really glad, obviously I, I found a career that I'm equally as passionate about music will always be first, but it was a godsend to like walk into my last brewery with no experience saying, I know you need help. And I, I was working retail and kind of like I had quit my previous job and wasn't ready to audition at places for like classical voice, which yeah. the idea down the line as when I was a kid, I wanted to get like, go on to get a PhD in musicology or music theory or music education. Um, but things have played out the way they have. And I'm able to combine very frequently um, the passion that I have for my career, the science, all of that with, I play gigs for breweries. I've made a lot of connections through brewing. I met the person who led me to you through brewing um, yeah. and so on and so forth. That's kind of my window into has been my window into Baltimore, but also in Northern Virginia where I came from. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole family of, Oh, we know Michelle, like have her play something or have her play that gig or can recommend whoever, or, or can consult for you for your <laughs> brewing quality program. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been my whole life and I'm very grateful for it. And the little windows that come about, um, that I can really put more towards the music than I normally would, um, in the everyday. And I'm, I'm in one of those moments right now, which I'm really grateful for. Yeah. So just, just balancing the passion and motivation. That's great. So I have a, I have a wrestling question and mm -hmm. then, uh, I have, I'll be remiss if I don't have it in here. I have a few Baltimore related questions and okay. then that'll be that. So right. the wrestling question, this is, uh, this is going to be challenging. I was going to say, I was going to keep it open-ended, but because you're a wrestling fan and I know how well, we, I'll put it this, I haven't watched elimination chamber yet. Okay. I was completely passed out. Oh, uh, Sunday night. And I have it on, of course I subscribe to WWE network. <laughs> <laughs> so I have it on queue for tonight. I haven't watched it yet. I feel like a DB, um, for not watching it yet. So just don't, 
I know all the, all the cards that were on there, but I have not watched yet. And I feel very embarrassed. So here's but the anyway. sheet. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this is the question I have. Cause I, I think like I listened to a wrestling podcast uh, called SW review and they review old school wrestling Mm -hmm. And they have a thing that you do at the beginning of um, with where their uh, listeners will email them or contact them in any way. And they'll say, um, this is who's in my boy stable. And pretty much the criteria is this person could not have won a championship, but you still rock with them. They're still like your guy. And mm -hmm. I was like, all right, cool. So I want to rip that off a little bit here, but here's the parameters. Uh -huh. Who are, let's say a handful of your favorite wrestlers based on this criteria in ring promo ability and how they're packaged and we can keep right. it to wwe and we can keep it to current if you like so it's probably it'll be a little mix because i really don't have that much of a fandom background okay per se sure there was a very small amount of time when i was in middle <laughs> school in eighth grade where my brother and i out of nowhere got oh no it was because the kids the boys who sat in front and behind me in my English class in eighth grade were very into it. Okay. Um, so my brother and I, with whatever cable we had at the time, uh, started watching SmackDown. Gotcha. And that's all we had access to. But so it was then, and then a tiny bit after eighth grade, and then like a year and a half ago, I okay. got back into it only. But okay. I've been so <laughs> going back and forth. Um, so I would say I've been doing my research, I guess. Um, right now I would say Drew McIntyre is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's how much he's playing into the baby face or kind of what I believe to be more his actual like authenticity, mm -hmm. um, based on all the, whatever documentaries that I've watched on him one of the main things he explains is how for a long time, it was just kind of passing by. Obviously he had a problem with alcohol and that kind of thing, but um, just like, all right, I'll go with these characters. They're throwing at me, but he always makes a point now to say like, there was a change of there's very little between my, mm -hmm. whether it's behind the scenes character or in ring character um, Drew McIntyre versus Drew Galloway, uh, which I respect. I mean, I think he's obviously he's a beast yeah. like, and I know how much they steroid test. So it's like, <laughs> it's kind of a, a modern day respect of like, Oh shit. Like that's, yeah, that is a large dude. <laughs> you look like a different guy um, now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he seems, he seems authentic and, and like a good person in the same way, John Cena Mm -hmm. is i mean john cena is another that like i didn't necessarily have on the list as like all-time favorite wrestler yeah. um because most of his heyday like some of it was when i was watching as a kid but um he was on raw i didn't have access to that <laughs> and there was a huge span in between but he is another person that fulfills i think more make a wish Mm -hmm. foundation uh, requests than any other person or any other celebrity. Um, I'm pretty sure that's, I haven't looked in a while, but I'm pretty sure that's, yeah, that's the case. That's like he, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, 
And I feel like Drew McIntyre has a very similar authenticity to him Mm -hmm. to do good uh, for people. So I really like that. And in ring, I mean, I think he does a really good job. Yeah. He's entertaining to watch. Um, As far as a few other people, I obviously Undertaker. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it seems kind of cliche to say that, but he is someone who has spanned the the decades he has and all of the different eras Mm -hmm. in wrestling and been able to take and not even for championships. Like it was never about the number of times he's, he's held a belt. Mm -hmm. It was his persona and the character kind of like what I felt they were trying to bring the fiend into like Mm -hmm. that direction where it's like your, your presence and your necessity for the league is, um, is your character yeah? and you're just there, you're lingering and, or you're, you're in the present and it's not about belts. It's about, all right, who are you going to mentally be there with and against? Um, So that's what I love about undertaker and just the dedication to the character throughout all of that and the business throughout all of that Um, and the injury and and even I feel like obviously I've watched all the documentaries on him and the Joe Rogan interview actually was pretty good. I'm not a big fan of Joe Rogan per se, mm-hmm. um, but it was cool to hear uh, Undertaker's interview because that was the first time in all of the behind the scenes interviews and documentaries he's done in the past like year, yeah. a year and a half. That was the first time it was uncensored. Yeah. Um, and I actually heard things I hadn't heard about him (laughs) on that. So I recommend that. Um, but yeah, undertaker, it's just a a pure dedication to the fans Mm -hmm. and like never failing that character. Right. Um, which I really enjoy. And yeah, just his, I mean, his being as part of the character, he was this massive, massive guy, um, was entertaining. And then I would say after that, uh, probably edge okay yeah yeah um again he's one that i didn't really have a lot of access to watching yeah um and gone for better part of a decade too (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and i mean when he made that comeback for royal rumble 2020 i mean i felt it i i hardly knew the background of edge and i felt that that (laughs) that excitement and energy (laughs) when he you think you know me and everyone lost it. Ah! (laughs) Like I've watched that over and over again, just that moment, that minute or so throughout this year. I don't, I feel like I'd be embarrassed to admit how many times if I knew how many times, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but Edge is another one who, yeah, he, in everything he does and what I've looked at, what he used to do and what he's done currently, it, um, it is just a pure joy and like thriving mm-hmm. on the crowd and the people he does it for. Yeah. It's, it's not just the athleticism. It's not being ready for your match or having whatever belt being the heel or baby face. It's he does it for the crowd. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, he was breaking down into tears when he came out there for that Royal rumble entrance yeah. for the first time in nine years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say, I would say those three as a, as a broad start. Okay. Um, just the people with 
just over it's what's the right word it's passion that um succeeds any character they're playing or or any written part of the storyline um they could have the same character obviously but like you can see their passion mm-hmm. beyond whatever they're supposed to be doing according to events for the next few months or between yeah. pay-per-views or any of that, you know, yeah. uh, that's, that's, I think what really stands out to me about them is just, just that passion and dedication okay. and I can relate to it in what I do, Totally, you know, and it seems it's, it's their life. Um, it's their lives and playing, playing those characters and playing for the people. Yeah. It's something that's admirable about it and admirable about really putting, being serious about what you're doing and, and putting in that work, that effort. And it definitely like uh, resonates in terms of, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're going to do a little bit better at your promo because it feels like this is closer to you and you have some stake in it, some skin in the game and mm-hmm. you're going to be, uh, at least in the conversation about how you're packaged and how you're presented to an audience, because you're like, this is me, you know, and not in a, like a crazy way, but like, no, this is, this is me. And then the in ring has to be there. You don't want to put on a crappy match. And that definitely resonates when you mentioned, um, undertaker, what have you. It's like, yeah, you know, you know, towards the end, his body was breaking down and all of that stuff. But, uh, you know, that desire to kind of keep coming back. Cause it's like, eh, you know, I can kind of do better. This one wasn't as, as good and, and so on. So even definitely. when he was wrong and knew it would be bad for him, yeah, it's like, oh. <laughs> like it's, it's still, it's the, the passion that you can definitely see in any industry you're doing, just like what I do. And yeah. it sounds like what you do. It's um, just in the example, I think, it best shines through and it's most relatable through those people that I mentioned in wrestling because it is the full picture and it you embody it. I, I need AJ Styles in a cinematic match. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I need to come yeah. out to Metallica and AJ, there we go. <laughs> AJ gets on my nerves quite a bit, but I've gotten better about it. Um, <laughs> gotten better. But if there's any ever a time I'm like, unless it's someone I just really don't, like Nia Jax. Um, she injures people. She's before the whole recent thing of the whole recent thing. Um, I feel like she's just, it's like either you're playing a bully. I don't see a purpose for her character as much as I hate to say that. Obviously she's pretty skilled in what she does, Yeah, but she's one of the people where I'm just like, just come on. The storyline isn't good. It's just not, it's not providing they, anything, they had but that's, for you. that's kind of raw right now. Um, but yeah, AJ, he was one, <laughs> he was the one that took a while and it's with the exception of the few, like I just was going on to say yeah. it's, it's good when there are people, you know, are really skilled and you've supported before yeah. that you can't stand because they're doing their damn job. They yeah. are being the heel they're supposed to be, um, doing a super, which again is passion. Yeah. You know, which is good. So now we got the wrestling stuff and I, I can see your wrestling podcast is going to do very well. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> hand, 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 hashtag, hand, hand. Uh, yeah. so, Baltimore, because uh, like I said before, I'd be remiss if I don't have that in there. Yeah. Um, quickly, quickly. Um, what 
would you say is is if you were to summarize it like in a sentence or so, what would you say is great about Baltimore? Authenticity. Mm. Um, I kind of say the same thing. It's good. I would say authenticity and a sense of community, even though it's a broken community. Um, and that authenticity, I this is something I kind of said back and forth in emails quickly, just like, I think it stays that way because a lot of people come and they don't stay. Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot of people who've been here, they come back, whether it's from college or whatever, and they stick around because they know what they're in for. And they, they know that authenticity and, um, it's a really great and unique thing, but my, my issue with that, I guess it's, it's a huge positive because in my mind, it's like, how long have we been able to keep this industrial, like blue collar, I would say, um, environment and that including African-Americans to have some of the same ownership of, of restaurants and in, in all the parts of the city, Mm -hmm. um, versus like, new industry has failed here Mm -hmm. because of pretty glaring issues here, Mm -hmm. um, which is not something to be fond of at all. Um, but I would say, and it's, and it's troubling obviously that those issues don't, don't seem to find uh, relief in the areas that really need it here Mm -hmm. and that coexistence that I kind of briefly said in the email, um, but it certainly adds to and continues that that feeling of authenticity where you're going to go to a bar or you're going to be recommended the best, even like Lake Trout <laughs> place yeah. um, that's been the stable of that or staple for it um, for decades and decades because, yeah, people may not come in here and develop or if they try to it doesn't last. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a mix of, of good and bad that adds to that author- authenticity. Sure. Um, which I, I hate the bad parts of it, but I do think that's very special here. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think it sticks out to anyone that comes here and visits more and more, um, or time and time again. But again, there's, there's definitely a, a negative attached to it. Um, but it's something I think about as to why I love it here. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's, it's, it's realism there. And, um, we, we get sometimes these sanitized imagery as to this is what Baltimore is. And it's very, it's very specific to what, where, whether it be the area, whether it be this, whether it be that, and it's the touristy yeah. things, and it has a certain color, whether it be skin color or whether it be uh, brightness to it. And yeah. it's like, yeah, the city is broader than that. And in part, that's what I aim to do in this podcast and just showing like, yeah, we have a little bit of everything here and all really types do. of people. Yeah. And it's, I mean, stereotypes will be everywhere. And that's what sucks. But it's like, even the amount of time, me and my parents have been, um, Northern Virginia and my dad grew up in Maryland, kind of Chesapeake Bay based their entire lives. And always like before the senators went away, I always came to Camden Yards. I went to Camden Yards growing up before the Nats came back. 
um, or before the Washington baseball team came back. (laughs) Um, And it's like, this place was no stranger to them at all, but it was still a convincing of, Hey, there is so much more to anything you hear on the news. And that is so stressful just being here and trying to explain that. But also I'm insanely grateful to have the opportunity to right people's wrongs Yeah. considering obviously, obviously the crime is there. It's, it's terrible. And that is the fault of folks who are not in those areas or like not, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not the people's fault that is above them. Yeah. Um, I think personally, and there's, that's a whole long discussion, <laughs> but I do take honor in being able to try to explain and give a voice to Baltimore, including like, yeah, those areas are bad, but you know what? There are also a lot of things building there with those people there. And, and they're part of this whole culture that has so much else to offer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I love being able to say that about this place. I love it here. Yeah. That's, that's great to hear. And there is so much. So the last question I have before I give you an opportunity to shamelessly plug anything, as we talked about earlier. (laughs) uh, So kind of um, if you were to get the ear of somebody that's in a decision-making position and Mm -hmm. um, they ask you creatively, what does Baltimore need more of? How would you Mm -hmm. answer that? Hmm. Cause we have a lot of creatives here, but, uh, we do, we do. It's I, we always hear about funding. And as you touched on earlier, people tend to, to leave and especially in that creative space. Like I used to ask this question, um, on the podcast a lot early on of who is our pop culture representative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not many. So no, and, that's and the I thing. don't think, I think we're in a spot where there wouldn't really be one. I mean, obviously we have John waters, but like that's, that is a generation passing on. It's, it's a great legacy. Yeah. Um, as a representation, but even with that, it, a lot of negative connotations come because of what he was depicting, which wasn't wrong. Yeah. You know, um, I'm not sure. I mean, we have, we have plenty of art functions that happen um, when the world isn't in a pandemic, um, which is how I met a lot of people. Uh, And I'm not sure, like if it's more regional, possibly advertising to to platforms of the kind of art we have locally. I'm not sure how that could even work, but from a large perspective, just like the visionary arts museum, that's one of the coolest places ever. How, how does that place get to more regularly advertise to people, even directly outside of this area? Obviously I'm not in the, like the target market because I live here, but, um, I don't know, stuff like that on the bigger scale, but, but reaching out, do you, do you know the, of the Soibo market? No. Or this like Soibo art festival, which is right by, it's not Lexington market. I'm going to sound like an idiot, but it is, 
It's, do you know where Lithuanian hall is? I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's right by there. That little market area there. Okay. And that neighborhood I believe is called Suibo. Okay. And it used to be annually in the summer or like early summer, there would be an art festival there. And that is West Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to go to that cause two of my buddies had vendor stands there and it was so diverse. Um, and it was the, the people coming to it were diverse. It wasn't just like, Oh, this little cute, like crafty arts thing. <laughs> and it's all white people. Like this was actually a diverse crowd. Yeah, I felt it was awesome because people came from like where I live in Canton or like Patterson park area. We were the fewer. Yeah. Um, you're my neighborhood then. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it was awesome because it was a true mixing of like, okay, this seems like we are in the neighborhood of people who are actually here attending this yeah, because it's here mm-hmm. and, and more of that needs to happen, I think. And I don't know what goes into that or what positions are available for, yeah. for leadership roles to, to make those kind of things happen more, but just more diverse or diverse because that's a word, um, diverse neighborhoods, or more diversity in the neighborhoods in which these things are hosted. I, I, I would think, say, I think you're right in that. Cause I, I had, um, Rebecca Hoffberger from, from the founder of AVAM on the, the mm. first episode of this season. And that was really, really cool. And we had a great conversation at, at one point. She said that, um, I should work on an installation about the thong song. This was, a oh, conversation. Hell yeah. this was a real conversation. And, um, it. and she was great. It was great to, what is it? Drew Hill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And uh, she gave me I a know, really thanks. funny an, uh, anecdote about being on a flight with Cisco. And it, it was it was a great conversation. And mm-hmm. I think like that's that's a place that's been around for 25, 26 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my own ignorance, I had never been there before. And I was invited personally by her um, like a week later. I still haven't been, which is my own fault. It's, but like I had great. no idea about it when... I lived even in Northern Virginia, mm-hmm. an hour away from here. I had no idea about that. It, it's like great. It's and outside it's an awesome art. museum. Yeah, and and I think like the, I think you're right, and I think one of the things that I hear a lot about what it needs more of is people don't see it as an opportunity to advance as mm-hmm. as a creative like whether they don't feel the support they don't get the funding or what have you and they could go to a philadelphia they could go to new yeah. york and you know somehow lose that baltimore identity and yeah. it's just oh i was discovered it's like you've been doing art for like 15 years already like <laughs> what are you doing yeah and i i do actually i would attest to that like I know a ton of artists here personally, and I know there's so many more and, and there are some outlets for them, but I would have to agree that I don't know what any kind of Baltimore artists general identity mm-hmm. would look like a representation. I don't, obviously each artist is different. They're individual in their style, their conceptions, but that, that is true to think of like, Oh, that's the Philly art scene. Or that's like the Vegas art scene, all the pop artists out there. Like it's, I don't think that necessarily, maybe in like the graffiti and like street art type sense, it's some of that there, but 
Yeah. I would agree that maybe that identity isn't as structured as it could be. I don't know what it would take to get that. It, it, I think it, it needs to be amplified. And I think this, this podcast here is a little slice to try to do that. Hell yeah. Um, just, just a small, slice, like a sliver, if you will. Uh, so that's the end of my questions. And this has been fantastical. And that's not a word. Uh, um, I've heard it before. So I'm going to act like it is. <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, so please, please, please plug away. What do you got? Uh, social media, all of that good stuff. What do you got? Um, well, my my one thing, he mentioned a podcast, but that's coming down the road and I don't have all the all the titles uh, squared away for copyright purposes <laughs> yet, uh, maybe in a few months. But um, you can find me on Instagram at singing alewife. So that's singing as in singing a song, mm -hmm. ale as in beer, A-L-E, and wife as in a wife, which I am not. Uh, but an alewife, just fun trivia fact. That's the old terminology from way back in the day um, because brewers were predominantly female Oh, well. back in the medieval to about late 1700s, early 1800s, uh, brewers were predominantly female, also known as Brewsters. But anyway, yeah, find me on Instagram. Uh, it's singing ale wife. Uh, and my name is Michelle McHugh. Um, you could look that up and find me other places. Not sure where that'll lead you. <laughs> Uh, maybe my really old YouTube channel, um, <laughs> that hasn't been touched in, in at least six years. I mean, there's, there's still some okay stuff yeah. music wise, but uh, I, I look slightly different, a lot younger, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's, that's it. Just singing ale wife. So on that's Instagram. So that's it. Um, so so thank you, Michelle. And um, I'll say this real quick. So for Michelle McHugh, I am Rob Lee saying that there's art, tasty beer, tasty, tasty beer. In and around Baltimore, you just got to have someone consult you to point you in the right direction towards it. Takeout is cool, but delivery gets pricey. So, like a phoenix from the ashes, indoor dining is back at Forge Eatery. I use the analogy because the food is fire. It's a new approach to farm to table. No overalls, just dope food. Try my favorites, like the mushroom stew with pine nuts and ricotta, the cornmeal fried happy oysters, and the seared duck breast. Also, ask about the chocolate chip cookie tins. Mini chocolate chip cookies with a dusting of sea salt. Simply delicious. Head on over to ForgedEatery.com to check out the current menu options and make a reservation today. Forged is located at 3520 Chestnut Avenue in Hamden. 